Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. This is the fifth in a series of special episodes on the seven final sayings of Christ from the cross, followed by a celebration of Easter. Our special guest for each of these episodes is Bishop Reuben Sines Jr., Episcopal Leader of the Great Plains Conference. Bishop, welcome back to In Layman's Terms. Good to be here, Todd. Bishop, before we start today, I want to acknowledge uh, what we've been going, what's been going on here in the Great Plains Conference and around the world. Uh, the COVID-19, or coronavirus, uh, it's killed thousands of people, unfortunately, and it's infected many, many more. Uh, we haven't talked about the pandemic before in these podcasts because, frankly, we recorded the first four of these episodes before the infection had made much of an impact in our part of the world. As a matter of fact, we did them, and the bishop was kind enough to record them ahead of time because I was going to be watching my son play baseball, <laughs> and uh, we weren't able to. We, we we were able to go to Florida, but then we came back, and and uh, all of a sudden went into uh, the, this time of uh, of staying in place in our homes. The bishop is joining us from his Episcopal residence in Topeka, and I'm hosting from my home in Lawrence. So we're not in the studio, so our audio at times might not be quite as crisp as what you're used to, but you're still going to be able to hear and understand everything that we're talking about. While we're very thankful for technology, uh, we're obviously in prayer for people who have been impacted either by their health during this difficult time or in other ways such as lost jobs and inconveniences from our regular everyday lives. Uh, and I think the bishop will join me in saying a big thank you to all of our healthcare workers, our first responders, our truck drivers, grocery store clerks and restaurant servers who are doing such an amazing job of helping keep us stocked with necessities as we go through such a difficult time. Bishop, I uh, just wanted to give you an opportunity to, if you wanted to say anything to our listeners about the pandemic. Yes, we, as you mentioned, Todd, there's many people that have been impacted by the pandemic and uh, many people that we often take for granted, but that keep um, our hospitals going and our groceries delivered and stocked and uh, of food prepared. And so at this time, we just, we just stop and say thank you to them. They, they are the heroes that are at the front lines, making sure that people have access to healthcare, to food and other essential needs. Uh, we're also very proud of the way that our churches are responding by providing care and comfort for the vulnerable in their congregations and also just their congregations at large. We have seen uh, amazing creative ideas put into uh, effect by our clergy and laity as they are seeking ways to stay connected with people during this time and also seeking ways to serve their communities. So we're grateful for the witness that we are making. I shared with the clergy the other night that we are now 
being the church probably more so than we were just a few uh, weeks or months ago because we are outside of our walls. We are communicating the gospel and we are offering the hope of Jesus Christ for people that are very concerned and worried. So I just want to encourage our churches uh, and our church members, our leaders, our clergy to continue in this good work as, as we all join together with all the world in sheltering in place, making sure that we help stop the continued uh, spiraling and escalation of the virus so that we give our hospitals enough time to uh, slow the, the virus down so that they can respond to the people that are sick and eventually get, get past this. So thank you to the Great Plains Conference and to all those that are listening that uh, are each doing their part and our part all collectively uh, to help stop the spread of the virus, not only here, but also worldwide. I want to announce that uh, starting next week, we'll have a couple of special episodes over the next few weeks of In Layman's Terms, talking to some of our pastors and lay people in the Great Plains with some of the amazing efforts that they've made in ministry while this has been going on. I mean, pastors who are just doing some really incredibly creative things uh, using technology that even a month ago they may not have even thought of. Yes. And so we're going to tell some of those stories. And you can see some of those on our Great Plains Conference uh, website at greatplainsumc.org slash coronavirus. On that very first page, about halfway down, you're going to see a link that says, uh, you know, tell your story. And there's a link to a, a, just a compilation of very short vignettes of what people and churches are doing across Kansas and Nebraska. So I look forward to that. Todd, before you go any further, I, sure. I just need to say also thank you to you and to the way that your communications department has been providing updated information to our Great Plains clergy and congregations about all kinds of uh, updates that are coming from our state uh, um, health uh, leaders and also our national updates. But more than that, Todd, you and your department, uh, in collaboration with Nathan and Congregational Excellence and, and Nancy and, and um, Scott Brewer in, in our financial services department, have really been uh, diligent to to give our churches the tools that they need to to meet the demands that are being placed upon them. And so thank you for all that you and your staff, and of course that Nathan Stanton and his staff, Nancy Lambert and her staff, Congregational Excellence, and Scott Brewer and their amazing financial services staff are doing. And of course the district superintendents are out there in the field uh, staying in contact with clergy, convening conversation, encouraging clergy and congregations. And so uh, when, when, when the people are, are needing the support, we want to ensure that those on the front lines have it. And uh, I'm just so grateful for all the ways that our conference staff and our, and our leaders are, are providing presence and guidance and tools for, for pastors that are, that are doing it each and every day. Um, when under tremendous amounts of personal stress because they have families themselves, but also the responsibility of caring for, for their congregations and their communities. So we're great. I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you for those words. It truly is a team effort. Uh, you mentioned the departments there, but Clergy Excellence has been providing a lot of information. Uh, Congregational Excellence has been developing a lot of the resources that we post. Financial services folks have really been working with churches to try to make sure that they are able to, to basically survive this, right? I mean, it's a challenge yes, for churches. Yes. Uh, and then my department's had the privilege of working with all those people to put all that kind of stuff yeah. together. So it's been, it's, it's kind of interesting, as hard as the work has been the last two weeks, 
it's been incredibly rewarding because of the number of people we've been able to talk to uh, and they've shared their stories with us just you know the anecdotal things about how they're working in the, in the mission field it's been amazing to see it has been well, let's get on to uh, what we're here for, which is the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. We're going to look at John chapter 19, verses, verse 28, and again at verse 30. The first one is John 19, 28, and it's Jesus saying, I am thirsty. Uh, it's kind of a curious, uh, short little statement that we that we find in the middle of Scripture. And, and Bishop, what, what kind of thoughts do you have on what really looks like a, a lot of a, a physical type of of question that Jesus would, or a statement that Jesus would make, I am thirsty, but there's probably more to that, isn't there? Yes, uh, Todd, there is. I, first of all, John is my favorite gospel of the four. And I, I love John for many reasons, but one of the reasons is the dialogue uh, that is found in the gospel of John. Jesus goes into these long conversations with, with Nicodemus, with the woman at the well in chapter four, with the man by the pool in chapter five, with the people in the desert in chapter six, with, um, with, with the people at the festival of booths in chapter seven, with, with a, him being the light of the world, uh, the, the man born blind in chapter nine, and, and so on and so forth, you know. And so in all of these conversations, the people come to Jesus with a very limited understanding of of their situation, what's called the limited situation. I mean, they're kind of trapped in, in a reality. And as they talk with Jesus, then Jesus opens up a new vista for them that helps them see a different dimension that they, they, can know, they cannot previously see. So it's, it's revealed to them divinely, so to speak. So there's an alternative reality that, that is taking place that they can then get an insight into and it changes them. It changes their their self understanding. It changes their understanding of the nature of things, and therefore it reorients their lives and it leads them to to find and to have the life that Jesus came to offer. So, so whenever whenever we look at the Gospel of John, we're always we always have to deal with John's use of metaphors, because you know while Luke is a quote unquote historical account and and Mark kind of records you know, the stories historically or as, as they've been passed on and, and Matthew the same way. John is kind of abstract. It's metaphysical. It's, it's uh, mysterious. It's, it's multi-layered. It's uh, philosophical. And so uh, Jesus is always, John, John uses metaphor to communicate the truths about the nature, uh, the work, the ministry, uh, the origin <laughs> Uh, and, and the and the meaning of, of Christ's life and signs, uh, as well as the nature of God, the nature of the Holy Spirit, and more importantly, the nature of humanity and why Jesus was needed. So, so, so John has all that going on, and um, and when Jesus says, you know, he's thirsty, yeah, he he was he was thirsty. I mean, he, he had been brutally beaten. He had been through the scorching heat of the day. He had, he had experienced, uh, you know, dehydration. I'm, I'm not, uh, I, after hours without drinking water and enormous amounts of blood loss, which, which are mostly water uh, and sweat of the heat of the day, he was suffering the physical 
um, symptoms of, of thirst. And, and it was a people, when people die of thirst, there's a lot of things that, that happen to, to the body. I mean, the kidneys start shutting down, the tongue gets swollen in the mouth. I mean, just even the, every time we breathe, we're exhaling, you know, water. Well, and then there's the trauma of the cross itself um, yeah. that he's going through. Yeah, and so his his nose is probably bleeding, and in there, you know, and after people dehydrate to a certain point, they start hallucinating, and and they until they lose consciousness and die. So, so part of the I am thirsty is his his physical his physical suffering. You know, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's uh, it's it, he was in in a in a very critical. There's there's moments before his death, and um, and and so he's he's wanting thir- uh, to quench his thirst. But you know if you if you if you think about John and his use of metaphors, Jesus uses thirst in two other places in the gospel. He uses thirst when he's in conversation and dialogue with the woman at the well. When the woman comes and they get into this conversation about. You know, I don't have, a, 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 give me the water that I may drink it and, and all kinds of things. And, uh, and and Jesus knows that she has a deep thirst. And, and you know, a lot of times we, we interpret the passage in a certain way, right? Um, and we, we cast assumptions about why the woman was at the well. And, you know, we, we objectify her as, as a sinner. But the text doesn't really say that. I mean, there could have been a lot of reasons why she would have been at the well at noonday. Maybe she ran out of water and she wanted to go out there to get water, you know. So, but 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 the woman is thirsty for for not being treated and as a as a person outside of community. She's probably thirsty for for acceptance in her own community. She's probably tired of the social distancing that's been imposed upon her. And all the discrimination, she's, she's thirsty for an end to that discrimination of, of her as a woman, as a human being by others. She's probably thirsty for an end to other people judging her. She's, she's, got, she's got this thirst, this, this second line, underlying thirst. She's out there because he wants water to drink physically, but she's got a deeper thirst. And Jesus says, you know, those, you know, if, I am the water of life. If you drink from me, you shall never thirst again. And, and, so, and so that gives us a clue to what thirst means, right? Th- thirst is is something that is is more than just physical. It is a deep desire that we have that that we that we want to have quenched, and Jesus offers to quench it. We hear that we hear that metaphor kind of a lot, don't we? When we when we talk about sports metaphors or in the business world, somebody has a hunger for something, yeah. you know, uh, for success or for advancement. Uh, so we use that secularly a lot, but when it comes to scripture, sometimes we overlook that that possible metaphor with 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 what you're talking about, where she maybe had a thirst for something beyond what her current life situation was. Yeah, she she had a thirst to be free from all that. Number one, um, she had a thirst for God because she was a searcher. She she started having this theological conversation with Jesus about you know where to worship God, where true worship was, and so. She had a thirst for God. She had a, a thirst for her own dignity and, and, and sense of, of, of worthiness that people were not giving to her. And so Jesus offers that to her. And, uh, and then again, at the Festival of Booths, which is a festival where, uh, where people would come and, and remember that God made provision for them 
Jesus stood and, and he said that whoever believes in him shall never thirst again. And, and that he, he was a provision that people were thirsting for. Uh, and, you know, you go back to Exodus, you know, when the people were thirsty and they were going to die of thirst out in the wilderness and God gave them water to drink, right? And so uh, when Moses hit the rock and the water gushed out and the people had something to drink, you know, so, so really it, it was a metaphor for, for people's thirst for God. And, and so when, yeah, when Jesus says, I, now, now you get into the, into, the, into the other part. So people had a thirst that Jesus satisfied. But when Jesus says, I thirst, what is he, what is he thirsting for? Uh, other than just water for his dehydrated body. So what do you think, Todd? What do you think Jesus is thirsting for? That's a great question. I've been actually been thinking about this ever since uh, oh, probably about earlier this morning. I was kind of anticipating that you're going to ask this question of me. <laughs> Um, I wonder. I wonder if I wonder if the thirst is something as simple as uh, the completion of his mission, uh, and and the thirst of of uh, being able to show the, the success to his heavenly Father, uh, the person that sent the, the being that sent him to Earth. Um, so I, mean, I, I thought a little bit about that, but I, I don't have a great answer for you. Hey, you know what? But that's what John does. <laughs> it pushes you to really start to think deeply about, well, what is it that I am thirsting for? You know, and, and, for, and so thirst, thirst is a, so, so human beings can live without food for 21 days, right? Uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi lived for, for food without 21 days. Cesar Chavez fasted for 36 days. Uh, when he was with the United Farm Workers Union, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Now, whether it was 40 physical days, I mean, 40 in the Bible means an indeterminate amount of time. Yeah, it might long, have been 65 days or long 38 time. days. Just a big, big old long time. So Jesus, for he, he, he was in the wilderness without eating or drinking for 40 days. But um, without eating for 40 days. But, but really, the, the human body... Um, by rule, simple rule of thumb, can only survive for three days without water. Where the, where where the body can where we, our bodies can survive for 21 days without food or more, depending on on the condition. Uh, 72 hours, and we pretty much get dehydrated. Our kidneys collapse, you know, uh, and we go start hallucinating. Our personality changes. We go into a coma and we die. And so and so thirst thirst is about about what gives us life, what, what, what is going to sustain us. And when Jesus says, I thirst, I, you know, I think that, that Jesus was thirsting and desirous um, of people to receive him and the life that he came to offer, right? The life that was life, because that's what he came for, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so when, when Jesus talks about the life that he offers, he's talking about more than a heartbeat or a brainwave or a pulse. Uh, he's talking about a life that one enters into when they receive him 
uh, and and his way of living and and the way uh, the way of living Jesus John describes it is is a way of walking in the, again metaphors walking in the light drinking living water eating and drinking from Jesus belonging to his flock being raised up with him being connected with him as a branch on the vine and I think you know Jesus is saying I I thirst for the world to receive me so that they can have the life that I've come to offer. And, and so I really, I really think it, it was a, uh, a, missional, a, a, a missional declaration, not, not just be, that went far, far beyond physical. Like all, of the, all that I've done, all that I've said, all my signs, all my teachings, all, all that I have shared with you, I desire that you would see me and come to me as, as your source of water for your life so that you can live. And so I, I, think, I, 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 I think John, with all the clues that he gives about thirst and the his use of metaphors, is, is communicating more through I thirst than what we see at first read. Although physical is there, but I think God, John, the gospel writer, has a much more comprehensive uh, statement about what Jesus is trying to convey. So it could very well be that Jesus was communicating, I've, I've poured out all that I have. Uh, you know, sure. a, a, as the vessel of living water, it could be I thirst because I've given everything that I have at that point. Everything for, for you. Yes. For you to have life. Right. right for for you meaning meaning collectively for the whole world to have life right. and now i thirst i i i i will i will be made alive <laughs> and it, it in in a way todd when when we receive christ christ's living presence continues christ is made alive through our witness right through our through our through our way in the world through our acts of of grace and kindness and compassion and mercy, Christ lives. And so when, and okay, here you go. So when we are in him and Christ is in us, then, then we become then, and so I'm getting into John's metaphorical language, we then become the mystical body of Christ, you know, individually and as a church collectively, the mystical body of Christ in the world. Christ continues to live when we are connected in him as a vine and his life pours into us and out of us into the world. And so, so yeah, so, so I thirst is, is really, it's kind of a, a missional signal. Like, Hey, you know, it, it, look beyond all of this and see who I am and what I've come to offer you as a gift. Cause, cause, cause the life that, that Christ gives us is a gift. It, it, and, and and once you start unwrapping that gift, it's a gift that never that never stops giving. And, and you get it all. You get the you get peace. You get salvation. You get hope. You you get assurance. You you get strength. You get uh, a, a reorientation of your life. You 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 get. You know, sometimes it makes me wonder why people don't receive the gift of Jesus Christ and what they're walking away from and, and turning away from 
by not receiving Christ. I, I, and I think, you know, at one point I was afraid, like, oh, what am I going to give up if I follow Christ? You know, look at all the things that I need to give up to do that. Because the life in Christ seems sometimes so austere and so, you know, lacking in 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 fun and things like that. But you you don't really understand what abundant life is until you experience it in Christ. And then everything that you're holding on to that's keeping you from that is like, why didn't I do this earlier? It's just, I mean, right. what I give up and what I gain from 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 believing and giving my life to Christ, it's not even comparable. It's, as Paul said, it's rubbish. It's a bunch of junk. I mean, of course, Christ, we, we keep it, but we repurpose it and use it for Christ's purposes in the world. And so, anyway, I just, I thirst, boy, <laughs> I thirst. Right. So in a way, when people believe in, in, in Christ, we're kind of quenching that desire for Christ, right? It matches up really well, too. I mean, we're, we're only going to move two verses down uh, from where we are right now. We're going to go to now to verse 30. Uh, after a sponge full of wine uh, is raised up to Jesus' mouth, he says, it is finished. Uh, and it certainly could have been a defeated, deflated kind of it is finished, you know, said softly. Uh, but I've read in many places, including some what I consider to be really good commentaries, that this was said more to mean it is completed, like an artist might say after completing a masterpiece. Uh, so, Bishop, what, what's your interpretation of, of those words from Jesus? I think I think it is finished. It is a statement of victory. <laughs> you know, it, 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 so it, it is a shout, not of not a defeat, but a statement of victory, of fulfillment. So the Greek word uh, <laughs> uh, is tetelestai, uh, tetelestai, which, which is a telos uh, uh, is the end, right? But tetelestai is, is, a, is a word that means fulfilled. It is fulfilled, but it's in the aorist tense. It's in the present tense. So it means my work is fulfilled now, right? I, I have finished my mission now, but at the same time, you know, my suffering has been completed. Um, but at the same time, my mission continues to be fulfilled into the future. So finished has a the nounness to it, like it, it is finished now. I, I, you know, I'm ready to, to, uh, I come from the Father, I do my mission, I return to the Father. That's John, right? It has the descent, the mission, and the ascent. And he told that to the disciples. So this is, this is the end of the mission after the descent. Now comes the ascent. I go back to the Father, back to God. So that part is finished, fulfilled. However, the, the ongoing work of salvation is always continues. It continues throughout the ages. It continues throughout generations. It continues through the end of time. And so somebody asked, when were you saved? Right? Well, if, if, you ask, if you ask the gospel writer of John or John, we can say 2,000 years ago. Because everything needed for my salvation was already made possible then. And so now I have just I have just received what has already been made available. 
but but it's not that that it it then becomes a possibility at a given point. It has always been a possibility, and it and it is always a possibility at any given moment, any given second. I don't care if it's two thirteen a.m. in the morning on Friday, April the second. It doesn't matter. It's always there, and in that sense. It has been fulfilled and continues in its fulfillment on throughout the ages. Crossing over language, culture, uh, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomics, crossing over and uh, penetrating all the cosmos, right? The, and that's the word, John uses the word, the, the world, it means a cosmos. All of the, all of the environments that, that that need salvation, not just human beings, but I mean our political sector needs salvation, our business sector needs salvation, our our our, our environmental sectors need salvation. The whole world is in need of that salvation, that abundant life that that is life that is needed. And, and so when 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 John talks about the salvation of the cosmos. He's not just talking about human beings. He's talking about the redemption of the whole world and how the world functions um, as, as a global society. And, and is that that Christ has come to save? Because in, in John's understanding, you know, he uses metaphors. And it's kind of dualistic. So he says, you know, there's darkness and light. There's life and death, right? There, there is, there is uh, belief and unbelief. I mean, other gospels say sin and 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 uh, and repentance, but God, John never uses the word sin. He just says belief. Where's the belief? And and that implies whoever turns around and reorients their life, which which involves an acknowledgement that you're headed the wrong direction, which is an acknowledgement of sin, but. But John uses these juxtapositions of these two different competing uh, realities. And so, and so he says every aspect of the planet and globe and workings has, has got those elements of darkness and light. But the hope is in John 1 that the darkness could not extinguish the light. And so, and so John, John is, a, is, a, is a word of hope for us. And it's and I think for us, Todd, right now, you know, a lot of us are worried about when is this coronavirus going to ever be over, right? When is it going to peak and descend and and stop infecting people? There's going to come an end to it. All, all suffering ends at one point or another, and and something new resurrects in its place. So right now we're we're in the midst of this coronavirus. Everybody's sheltered in place. Everybody's afraid of, of the of the duration of this epidemic or pandemic, but it's going to be behind us. It's going to end, um, and so something new is going to emerge after that. There's going to be a resurrection of some sorts. So, so I think that's a good word for us today. It is finished, but it is not finished. It continues. Right. Salvation continues. Exactly. Well, Bishop, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, that, that's all the time we have for this episode in our series of the final sayings of Jesus from the cross. 
Uh, I want to thank uh, Bishop Sines again for providing his knowledge and reflection. We'll be back next week with the last of our seven sayings from the cross. Uh, until then, everybody stay safe, stay healthy, uh, and please have a blessed week as you continue your Lenten journey. Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifer. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org, and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.